0: connect with us at mvfcolorado.com now stay tuned for this week's message Today uh, we're continuing in a series, if you haven't been here, our summer message series is called Summer Psalms. So we've been talking about this this Old Testament book that many times we we go by, we get bite sized pieces every once in a while, but we don't go in and actually dive in and read it. And so we've been encouraging you all summer long to jump into this book, read through it, uh, and uh, we've been giving you a, a psalm every week to read through. If you've found bookmarks on your on your chairs there, that'll give you the... The psalm for the week, and so you can take some time this week to read that, and if you've never been in the Word of God, we feel like if you just get in and read that one psalm this week, that's a big accomplishment, so you're just opening yourself up for God to speak into your life, and so I hope that you'll choose to do that this week. Today, we're in a a special psalm. It's Psalm 108. Normally, I would tell you to grab the Bible head over there. I'm not going to do that today. We're going to do something a little bit differently, because uh, one of the ways that we teach uh, Bible study is a three step step process where you observe so it 's observation and then it 's interpretation and then it 's application so it 's idea of officer uh, 's observation, read through it, see what it says interpretation. What is the author trying to say? What, what was the main theme here? And then application. What does it mean for me here and now? And so today, we're going to start just a little bit differently, because this psalm is an incredible psalm, and I want you to get the entire flavor first, because the psalm actually de- declares the praise and trust in the Lord. It's, it's written by David. You're going to see that here in just a second. But he's declaring his praise and trust in the Lord, and he's doing it by looking at it from the past, and he's applying it to the present, which if, if you uh, don't think church is relevant, man, this is going to be relevant for all of us today, because this is what we need to be working on. This is, we got to learn this skill, and David teaches us how to do that in 108. So here's what we're going to do. Uh, very traditional uh, way of doing this. I'm going to ask all of you if you would Stand. And uh, in many churches, they do this thing where the text for that Sunday, what they'll do, the entire congregation will stand, and it's just out of reverence for the reading of God's Word, and then they will read through the entire Word, and they'll say a prayer before they jump into it. So that's the way we're going to handle it today, and uh, I, th- I think it's a great, uh, great thing to be doing every once in a while, but I think today especially, I want you to get the entire flavor of this entire psalm. So here's, uh, here's what it says, Psalm 108. It starts off, it says, it's a song. It's a Psalm of David. In verse one, it says, my heart is confident in you, O God. No wonder I can sing your praises with all my heart. Wake up, lyre and harp. I will wake the dawn with my song. I will thank you, Lord, among all the people. I will sing your praises among the nations. For your unfailing love is higher than the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the highest heavens. May your glory shine over all the earth. Now rescue your beloved people. Answer and save us by your power. God has promised this by his holiness. I will divide up Shechem with joy. I will measure out the valley of Sikath. Gilead is mine, and Manasseh too. Ephraim, my helmet, will produce my warriors. And Judah, my scepter, Will produce my kings, but Moab, my washbasin, will become my servant, and I will wipe my feet on Edom and shout in triumph over Philistia. Who will bring me into the fortified city? Who will bring me victory over Edom? Have you rejected us, O God? Will you no longer march with our armies? Oh, please help us against our enemies. For all human help is useless. With God's help, we will do mighty things. For he will trample down our foes. Let me say a prayer for us. Heavenly Father, we come to you right now in this moment after reading your word. We just ask that you would um, bless this time. God, we thank you for your word. The fact that what was relevant when King David wrote this thousands of years ago is just as relevant, if not more, for us here and now today. And Lord, I pray that as we dive into this, that you would open up our hearts, our minds, that you would speak truth into our lives, Lord. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would meet every one of us right where we're at, give us uh, that bit of truth that we need this morning, and Lord, I pray that not a single person in here would leave the same way that they came in, but because of uh, the study of your word through worship, that their view of you, their view of themselves, maybe some truth for life and how they live, um, maybe it changes them, Lord, and I just pray that all of this is molding and shaping us into people that look more and more like you. And Lord, we just pray that all of this is a, an offering that is pleasing to you. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ and God's church said, amen. amen. You may be seated. Now, uh, As I was reading that, some of you thought, you know what, this uh, sounds a little familiar. Uh, you would be right, actually, because 108 is actually a compilation of two different psalms. It's incredible because verses 1 through 5 are actually Psalm 57, 7 through 11, which we read two weeks ago. We taught on that already. And then the last uh, eight verses, 6 through 13, are actually Psalm 65 through 12. It's two different Psalms, two different sections brought together. And uh, David, I think in this moment, he's been singing these songs, he's been repeating them, this is how they memorize things and how they encourage themselves and others, right? And so he's he's learned these songs, and we'll get into it here in a minute, but I think this situation warranted him to go back and to draw this truth from the past and bring it into this current situation that they were facing. There's several enemies listed in this passage. The Philistines, you guys know it's the hated enemies of. of Israel, and then you have uh, Edom and Moab, the Moabites, and and so they're all listed in this text, and many scholars believe that David is doing this because... We know that Edom has already been defeated. We'll talk about that later. But they feel like in this point in history that Edom may have risen up again. Like they're coming up against Israel again. And David's having to go back and suppress this. And David is recalling a former victory. And he's applying it to a current challenge today. I think this is a great example of using scripture and using God's faithfulness in the past to help us live victoriously today in whatever it is that we're facing. And I love it because uh, Jesus sets this example for us as well. When you go to the New Testament, you get to the book of Matthew, what you find is Matthew records an amazing story in chapter 4 where Jesus, uh, was right after his baptism, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, and he's tempted three times by Satan. Uh, what's fascinating about that story, just as a side note, is the only characters in that story are Jesus and Satan. So how in the world does Matthew know about it? How does, he, how does he know enough about it to even record it? Well, I think it's because Jesus, later on, would share that with his disciples. It's the only way that he would know. And why would Jesus share that with them? Well, because they, Jesus wanted them to know how important it was for them to be in Scripture, to know truth. Because do you know in those temptations, Satan uses Scripture as well? And unfortunately, uh, today, Satan knows more Scripture than most believers do. And we got to do a better job, right? And and Scripture is one of those things, when we get into truth and we understand it, we we read it and we set it to memory, what happens is it helps carry us through challenges today. Uh, Jesus taught that in Matthew chapter 4, and David is teaching it here in 108. And the reason for that is because all of us are going to be tempted. We're all going to face obstacles in our life. There is no such lifestyle in which you will not have problems. Or you'll, be, you'll not be tempted. Like it's not, you walk with Christ for 15 years and you get to the, you know, the place where you're tenured now. And all of a sudden you're not tempted anymore. It doesn't work that way. And temptation is not a sin, by the way. Jesus was tempted. Those of you that have been believers for many, many years, you're still tempted today. Temptation is not a sin. It's what we do with the temptation that determines whether it becomes a sin or not. So let me ask you, you, are you losing faith today because of a current life challenge? Are you having trouble hanging on to hope because of an obstacle that's in front of you? Are you finding yourself tripping, falling over temptations here more lately? The question I would ask you if that's the case, how much time are you spending in the Word of God? How much time are you spending in prayer? of walking with God. See, I found when I've struggled in life and struggled you know, with challenges and things like that, it's because I'm not spending enough time in the word of God. I'm not spending enough time in prayer with him. Because you overcome life's challenges, you overcome temptations by leaning into the word, by leaning into your faith, by leaning in on Jesus more. And I love the way that David starts off this psalm in verses 1 and 2 because he declares it from the very beginning that his heart is confident in God. Nothing else, not in his bank account, not in his title, not in his job, his abilities. He's a great warrior, he's a great musician, we'll talk about that here in a minute, but he doesn't say any of that. He says, no, no, my heart is confident in you, O God. That's where his confidence is at. And what he's saying is God is that fixed point from which he draws all of his strength that's his foundation for all of life and see uh, for the world around us that doesn't have that you'll watch them they'll be on a roller coaster ride through life right they'll be up they'll be down they'll be worried about this there's no joy here they're trying to find happiness and they can't seem to find it why because they don't have jesus as the foundation and something incredible happens when we make Jesus our foundation. When our heart is confident in the Lord, we can stand and we can find joy and peace and, and happiness and comfort and everything else, even in the midst of life's challenges. And you can't say that anywhere else. I think this is one of the reasons why he also goes on to say, I can sing your praises with all my heart. Why? Because he's got a firm foundation. He doesn't have to worry about what's going on. It doesn't matter what happens tomorrow. He can sing praises with all of his heart because his heart is confident in the Lord. Now, how's he going to do that? How's he going to sing praises with all of his heart? Well, he tells us right here with a a lyre and harp. What does he mean by that? Well, these are instruments. And for, for some of you, you know this, that David was a very, very gifted musician. It's how he got to the palace in the first place, remember? He uh, was asked to come in and play, and, and he composed music, and he would play for King Saul when he would have headaches or troubled spirits, right? And this is how he got in the palace in the first place. But also, David is a, an accomplished musician. He's gifted by God because he, he was a songwriter. He played songs all the time. And uh, he wrote 73 of the 150 psalms that we have in this book. 73 of them were his songs. And uh, not only that, but it was a passion of his. You can see it when he writes. Um, this was his job. When he first moved into the palace, he would play music for the king. That's how he praised God with all of his heart. So let me ask you: uh, How do you praise God with all your heart? Well, you use your gifts, right? You use your passions. Use your job. Did did you hear the teens in the video this morning? How many of them, even at their age, are saying, hey, whatever occupation I have, whatever line of work I'm in, I'm gonna use that to glorify God. Um, How are we doing at that? How are you doing at that? Um, He goes on in verse three and four. He says, I will thank you, Lord, among all the people. I will sing your praises among the nations. Uh, You know what I get out of that? That tells me that my faith is not private. It shouldn't be this, uh, you know, closet in my house type faith. It shouldn't be faith only at dinner time around the the kitchen table when I get to say the prayer, right? This is a faith that's lived out among the people, among the nations. He is going to sing your praises among the nations. I'm going to tell everybody about you. That's what I'm going to do. I know that for many of us, we treat our faith as though it's, it's private, it's, it's something that we just do at home, and, and can I just say this, if, if you're different at work, or if you're different at school than you are at church, um, there's a word for that, it's called hypocrisy. Uh, see, Jesus didn't come just so you could visit with him before you have a meal, he wants all of your life, he wants every aspect of your life, he wants your school life, he wants your work life. He wants your home life. Our walk with Christ is, is what, what matters. And it's an everyday, every moment of everyday type faith. It's not supposed to be private. So how do, you, how do you thank the Lord and how do you sing your praises among the people, among the nations? How do you do that? Well, you live out this life in front of everyone, no matter where you're at whether it's at school or at home or at work, it doesn't matter. You're you're the same person. You live it out. I've got friends who are this way. Like, they are through and through disciples of Jesus Christ. They live their faith out. And what's great about it, it doesn't matter where we're at, it doesn't matter who's around us, they are the same person. And it's incredible when you see it. It's attractive because you're like, I want to be like that. I want to be like that. To have that much boldness and that much confidence to live my faith out wherever I'm at. Verse 5 and 6 Um, this is the section that actually gives us the situation from which David is actually writing this psalm. He goes from, I'm going to praise you in front of all the nations to this idea of um, rescue your beloved people. Listen to our cry Answer our prayers, God. His praise turns in, it transforms into this prayer as you go through. He's asking God to save them, to, to listen to them, to answer their prayers. And I, I love this line. He says, now rescue your beloved people. Uh, who's he talking about when he says beloved? Who, who, who are God's beloved people? And you might be saying, well, it's David. I mean, he's the one writing it, right? After all, he's a man after God's own heart. And, and I think, in some ways, that might be right, um, but I think it's bigger than that, right? Um, I, I go to John three sixteen, and I read where it says that God so loved what the world that He gave His only begotten Son. That whoever what believes, whoever believes, right? So when we're talking about God's beloved, who are we talking about? Those who believe in Him. That's you, that's me, that's all of us, that's God's people. And see, David understood that the beloved was God's people, but here's what's great about it. He also understood that he was one of those people. What I love about when David writes, especially in the book of Psalms, is you will see David's heart appeal to God as if he were the only one in the room, like he was the only one that God was focused on in that moment. And it makes me wonder, do we have that type of relationship with God? When you, when you worship, when you sing, when you pray, do you, do you feel like you're the only one? And I, I'm not trying to make your Christian faith all about you, that's not what I'm trying to do, but here, here's what I do pray for you. I pray that there are moments in your time of worship, there's times when you get in a, in a quiet place and you're reading the word of God, or maybe you're in prayer, I pray that you experience those times when it feels like God is solely focused upon you. Because it's a sign of that relationship. I've felt that. I've felt that many times in worship or when I'm reading the word of God, I'm just like, God, would you just speak through your spirit? Give me a message. And I've felt that before. Now that's not because I'm awesome or I'm great. That's, you guys know me. That's not what it's about, right? It's what we talked about last week. The fact that God is omnipresent. He's in all places at all times. And, and here's what I believe. I believe that our God is so big That he can love you in a very special way right where you're at the exact same time he's loving me in a very special way right where I'm at. That has nothing to do with you or me. It has everything to do with the God that we serve. That's how awesome our God is. Now, starting um, with this line here, now rescue your beloved people. You can put your name in there because here's the thing. Don't miss this. You are God's beloved. It's you. And some of you need to hear that today. You need to know because you, you take your faith as though it's just part of a group. It's just what I do on Sunday. And I think the heart of God cries out to you and goes, I want a personal relationship. I, w- I, want, I want you to know me as much as I know you. It's more personal than that. Yes, it's all of God's people, but you're a part of that as well. You are God's beloved. Uh, Starting in verse 7, it changes a little bit because we read this declaration about God's victory in in 7 and 8. I love this because he said God has promised this from his holiness. Because of who God is, he's promised these things. And he goes on, he lists these places that for many of us, we have no clue where they're at. You know, uh, Shechem and Gilead and and Manasseh and Ephraim, all these different places. And, And if it said, you know, like Lyman and Aurora and things like that, we would know where that's at. But we don't know where most of these places are at. If you look at an ancient map of ancient Israel, what you'll find out is every place that he lists in these two verses is within Israel. And so what he's doing here is God is declaring his authority over his own nation, over his own people. He's naming the tribes of Israel. And after King Solomon dies around 930 BC, this nation is going to split into two. We're going to get the northern nation, and it's going to be called Israel. And many times they'll call it Ephraim, because it's the tribe of Joseph who took, took them to Egypt. And then the southern kingdom is actually going to be referred to as Judah. This will be from the tribe of David. I love verse 8 here. It says, um, Ephraim, my helmet will produce my warriors. It's referring to the northern kingdom. I love the fact that he says helmet when it's the northern kingdom, right? But he says, you will produce my warriors. What God is doing here is he's displaying his power. But he goes on to say, Judah, Judah, my scepter, will produce my kings. That's the southern kingdom. Judah was a tribe of David. And he says, my scepter will produce my kings. And if you, if you think about it, the birthplace of Jesus ends up being in this area. Jesus is born there. He's the, the lion of Judah. He's the king of all kings. It's almost prophetic It's it's got this messianic prophecy that the king is coming. Jesus is going to be born in this area. Uh, Verse 7 through 8. God uh, talks about his authority over Israel, but when you get to the next two verses in 9 and 10, he expands that, and he includes all the surrounding nations. He talks about Moab. He talks about uh, Edom and Philistia, where the Philistines are from, and what David is saying in these two verses is not only is God, uh, not only does he rule over Israel, but he has dominion over every other nation as well. I love the fact that he talks about Moab and Edom because there's a lot of history in this passage as well because both of them were conquered because of their pride. Moab's uh, downfall actually is recorded in Isaiah 16. It says this, We have heard about proud Moab, about its pride and arrogance and rage, but all that boasting has disappeared. And if you read 2 Samuel 8:11, you find a story where David goes in and he defeats the Moabites. He, de- he defeats Moab. What about Edom? Edom's an interesting one, too, uh, because there's a book in the Bible we don't talk about very often. It's Obadiah. He's a prophet, and he's got a, one book, one chapter in his book, and that entire book, that entire chapter, is all about God passing judgment on Edom because of their pride. I just want to give you a flavor of it. We're not going to read the whole thing, but just the first four verses. It says, We have heard a message from the Lord that an ambassador was sent to the nations to say, get ready, everyone, let's assemble our armies and attack Edom. The Lord says to Edom, I will cut you down to size among the nations. You will be greatly despised. You have been deceived by your own pride because you live in, the, in a rock fort, fortress and make your home high in the mountains. Who can ever reach us way up here, you ask boastfully. But even if you soar as high as eagles and build your nests among the stars, I will bring you crashing down, says the Lord. David is showing that God can take a very, very powerful, a very prideful nation, and he can humble them anytime he wants. Uh, Did you notice some of the the verbiage used there in 9 and 10? He calls Moab a washbasin. You know what a wash basin is? It's the thing that Jesus at the Last Supper got, you know, he got up and he, and he took off his outer robe and he picked up this wash basin and he went around and he began to wash the feet of all the disciples. If you were a guest in somebody's house back then, you walked into their house, they would have a servant that would actually take your sandals off if you had them and would wash your feet. Uh, another interesting one, it says, um, I will wipe my feet on Edom. Now, you and I, we read that, and they're like, that's kind of gross, right? Especially if you have, like, a foot phobia or something. You're like, that's just sick, right? But it means so much more. Because back then, um, this is before Henry Ford came up with the Model T, right? So they were still walking everywhere. They, they walked down the same roads as animals, right? So uh, some people were fortunate enough to have sandals. Others didn't. So with the animals and everything, you know what's in the road, right? You know what would be between your toes, do I need to get more graphic? Are you getting this? You guys are just looking at me like, what are you talking about? I thought you guys were farm people. You got this, right? Um, ranchers, you, get, you know what I'm talking about, man. And um, so feet in these days had stuff on them. Can I just say it that way? He says, I will wipe my feet on Edom. I tried to come up with a modern day saying that we, we would use that would be similar to this. And here's what I found. I found two sayings, and I can't even really say them in church. That's how crazy that is, right? God's like, meh. Nah. No, you're, pri- you're prideful. You think you're so great? These, these fortresses make your homes in the mountains. You think you're so amazing and awesome? Who can, who can touch this way up here? And he's like, I'm gonna bring you down. I'm gonna wipe my feet on you. That's what I'm gonna do. And what David is saying is, is if God wants to make them into a wash basin, if he wants to wipe his feet on them because of their contempt God has every right to do so and he has all the power to do it. That's what he's saying. And we know that he did because 2 Samuel eight fourteen tells a story where David goes in and he defeats Edom. The Edomites become their slaves. Now, what does this mean for us today? Well, I was reading about, you know, the Philistines and the Edomites and the Moabites and their downfall because of their pride. And, and what I would say is this, What's true for a nation is true for us as individuals as well. we got to check ourselves and make sure that we're not getting prideful. Because sometimes with our, our jobs, our titles, our homes, and God says, look, it doesn't matter. If you soar as high as eagles and you put your nests in the stars, I will bring you down. And we need to remember who God is and we need to remember who we are as his children. Proverbs 16, 18 says that the pride goes before the fall or pride goes before destruction. That's the only place that leads us. Then we see David express his trust in God as he wraps up this entire psalm. And it's it's just this proclamation of trust, verses 11 through 13. Uh, This psalm, because of these verses, And because of what it said about Edom earlier, many scholars believe that this psalm was composed on the eve of a battle. Like David is getting ready to go into war with his men and he's writing this out. And because of that, he... he, I don't know, maybe he doesn't have time to to write a new psalm. Maybe he's just going, you know what? I'm thinking back to Psalm 57 and Psalm 60, those other songs that I've been singing my whole life, and those, they bring great hope about victory and who God is, and I'm just gonna bring those in, and I'm gonna say those as a prayer in this moment because we know that we need God tomorrow. How can you say that? Because David says this, oh, please help us against our enemies for all human help is what? Is useless. David is saying this. The elite warrior, the man among men is saying this. The guy who started off as a little kid that went down in the valley with five stones and slayed a giant and cut his head off. That dude. The guy who became king and led his, his military into multiple wars, who slayed thousands is what it says. That guy says, all human help is useless. He's a great warrior. You'd think that guy could do anything. And he's like, "Mm mm-mm, nope. Without God, I I think David, even being the elite warrior, knew that God was the one that brought victory, not him. Um, Verse 11 also implies something interesting, too. Have you rejected us, O God? Will you no longer march with our armies? A lot of scholars believe that not only is he on the eve of a battle, but he's just come off of a defeat, They've suffered a, a defeat, and now they're going back into battle again. Uh, maybe they had to retreat. Maybe they were getting beat down, and they had to retreat, and they set up camp again. And now they've regrouped, and they're going back into battle again. And this is what he writes, Psalm 108. Say, I, I think because of this, all human help is useless. He's understanding, look, God, without you, he understands intimately what Jesus taught in John 15, 5, when he says, apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. You can do Nothing. But because of the way he ends this, I also believe that he understands what Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 19, 26, when he said with with humans, it is impossible, but with God, everything is possible. So if you miss everything else today, here's what I want you to get. You are God's beloved. Without him, you can do nothing. But with God, everything is possible. Look at the trust that David expresses at the end of thirteen. With God's help, we what? Say this with me. This is that interactive part. All right. He says, "With God's help, we we will. We will." Has it happened yet? Not yet. But he says, "We will do mighty things. For He will trample down our foes. He will." We will do mighty things with him. We'll do mighty things. He will trample down our foes. And I think it's because of this ending, because of his heart posture in this, it's the only way that he was able to start this entire passage off in verse one by saying, my heart is confident in you, O God. No wonder I can sing your praises with all my heart. Let me ask you this morning, is your heart confident in God? Do you have that firm foundation? Do you trust him with everything in your life? Do you know that the battle is the Lord's? Do you know that the victory is not in your hands, it's in his hands? Do you believe that? Do you understand? Without him, you can do nothing, but with him, everything is possible. David did. I hope we do. Let me say a prayer for us. Heavenly Father, we come to you right now on the tail end of 108. Lord, in a much better position than David was. We're not... We're not coming out of a a battle that we've lost and going into another one, wondering what's going to happen, Lord. But for many in this room, it feels like it, uh, because maybe we've gone through a season where we've lost, Uh, we've experienced some serious setbacks, we've been beat up, beat down, and Lord, we've got an obstacle in front of us that we're, we're looking at, we're not sure if we can make it through, we've got a challenge, we've got something that we have to do, Lord. But God, what this psalm teaches us is that you are the one to go to that you are God and we are not. And Lord, that you love us. You love us and you answer our prayers. You walk with us even in defeat and you help us through the next one. God, I pray that uh, for those in the room that are struggling today, that they would know that they are loved by you. That you want a relationship with them. That's why you came. And Lord, that we can, with you, go through whatever is right in front of us and be victorious. God, I pray um, that this causes us to be able to say our heart is confident in you, and Lord, I, I pray that it causes us to praise you with all of our heart. We pray all of this brings glory and honor to the name of Jesus Christ, and everyone said, amen.